Hello, my friends, and welcome to um, another episode of The Informed Catholic. This is going to be episode 61. My name is Ned Jabbar. So, I want to talk about everything that's been going on ever since the Roe versus Wade return. Where are we heading? I mean... There's a video I just saw on Insta- Instagram. A young woman. She, she reminded me of Ellen Page a little bit because she was so young, but screaming. Screaming. Um, I don't know if this was a pro-life group or um, there was some kind of rally or something. We love killing babies. She was screaming. We love dismembering babies. I don't know what what her her goal was. I don't know what her goal was. But it was a young white woman. And it it was I mean it, it leaves it leaves you speechless. Now, I know she was trying to get an effect. She was trying to get a a reaction. It was a um, it was for dramatic effect, maybe on some parts. But she was screaming it out in the public, jumping up and down. And that was um, it. Might have been a pro life group that she was just trying to mess up. Who knows? The sad problem is that it's gotten to this point where we live now in a world where the gift of life that God has that God has given us it means nothing. That there's no more gratitude for being alive. Even when you're not happy, when your life is not perfect, there's a there's gratitude for being alive. When you're a Christian, when you're a Christian, and you give your life to Jesus Christ, when you're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, when you're confirmed, you're confirmed. When you receive the Eucharist, the body and blood of Christ, when you go to confession, when you go through all these sacramental experiences, you have to have gratitude. Just gratitude. Gratitude for the family you have. Gratitude for the, the fact that you didn't choose them. They were, God is the one who picked them for you. Yes, it's true. There are people who have families that are abusive. There are people who, who've gone through most terrible, sad things. Abusive mothers, abusive fathers, an alcoholic father. 
a mother that may have done unfortunate, regrettable things that has caused great pain and great shame. But you bring those to Jesus. You bring those to Christ. You know, um, unfortunately, like this new movie, Thor, Love and Thunder, I was listening to the review and one of the reviewers, uh, movie reviewers, was talking about the film has a, a character played by Christian Bale called the God Killer. And the subject is about if, you know, I mean, she she basically brought up the subject matter about religion because since the, this, the film is dealing with a very controversial subject matter about faith, and the question is, is that if God or the gods exist, why is there so much evil, so much problems in the world? And this is very common among the modernists to think this way. And the idea was, of course, she brought up that religion has been such a big pain. And I, you know, and I wish I could talk to someone like that because, first of all, Religion is not the problem. If you look at the world's history, most most of the battles, most of the wars were not about religion. Okay? It was not about God. Yes, it's true, the Crusades, the Crusades, you could say, were about God. It was about Christianity versus Islam. But it wasn't necessarily about God. It was about expanding territory. It was about Islam taking over the Mediterranean world. But we're digressing here. Let's just stick to with the subject matter here. It's the attack against religion from the left here in the Western world. And I like what Jordan Peterson said something. You know how you have this problem now in America where the argument over what they say, the separation between church and state. Now, this is something the left loves to throw in all the time. They love to use that, separate the wall of separation between church and state. There's no such thing in the Constitution, people. It doesn't exist. It's not there. There's no such, there's no such thing. It's nonsense. What what this came from was from uh, a private letter of Thomas Jefferson that he wrote to uh, the Danbury Baptist community, which I think was in Hudson Valley, New York, around the Hudson River Valley. And they were asking uh, about church and state. And Jefferson was answering in a private letter. This was, he was what he went by, wall of separation, that the churches don't have to worry about any interference or interruption by the state, that there is a wall, a, a, a wall of separation between the two, that you don't have to worry about the torrent because he was basically, because they knew that often states like to control churches like they do in Europe, and Jefferson's response was that you don't have to worry about such things. That there will be, you know, because the freedom of religion 
gives um, gives assurance. That is an assurance in the Constitution. So yeah, there's no uh, uh, official st- uh, state church. There's nothing. There's nothing for anybody to worry about. Nothing for anybody to worry about. Which is what makes America unique. But the left hates this. The left hates this. They do. They hate. They want to. I don't think they want to get rid of um, the church. I don't think they want to. You know, completely destroy the church. I don't think they want that. I think what they want is they just want to control it. It's a tool for control. It never. They never got rid of it in the Soviet Union. All right. They never got rid of it in the Soviet Union. It still remains. Stalin saw the usefulness of religion to his advantage. And so does the left. If they want, they need to find some way. Um, they'll do it. They'll, they'll control the church, manipulate the church, and use it to their advantage. That's, this is a common fact. Look at, just look at Nancy Pelosi. Look how she'll run to Rome to take a picture with the Pope, and with her husband, uh, get a picture of the Pope so she can use it for publicity. Why is that so important to her? Because it's not her religion that's important to her. It's her political career that's important to her. All right? It's her own political career that stands on top for her. This is her true religion. This is her true God. Sounds harsh, but it's true. And that's where we come to. How how did we get to someone like Nancy Pelosi, a politician like her? She grew up in a Catholic home. She was sent to Catholic school. She was quite privileged. I mean, she is. She came from a well-to-do family. Her father, I'm, you know, I'm not going to go into history. He sent her to a school, I believe. I think John Henry Weston did it many, many years ago. I mean, not many years ago. It was too, not too long ago about her, her upbringing and how she got to think the way she did. And the fact is, it turns out those nuns were quite um, revolutionary these uh, French nuns, they they actually trained her to think the way she is. And she, this is how she wound up this way. And there's a lot of Catholics that actually think this way. I mean, uh, you know, not too long ago at my job, I'm talking to a co-worker who's supposed to be, I thought, and I foolishly thought was orthodox, but it's not true. You know, we're talking about same-sex marriage. And, and you know, there's that thing that, you know, Catholics, I guess you could say cultural Catholics, or I guess you can say half-assed Catholics, or sorry to use that term, but it's true. I know, I know, I know. They look down to the right on the floor. They move their head to the left, or whichever way. And then as they walk away, I still think God, uh, Christ would bless the same-sex unions. That's, this is, this is, 
This is their, their thinking. This is what we've got into. And it was deliberate. We were brought to this stage for, for obvious reasons. Neglect was deliberate. Okay? We didn't get to the stage accidentally. We didn't get to the stage because, uh, just because of lazy priests, although it's true. There are lazy priests. There are lazy bishops. This, this way of thinking, this behavior was deliberate. Was deliberate. Okay? The idea was to, to make the church like the world slowly, slowly, Make people question the church's teaching. Make cheap people uh, question morality. You know, make people question God. Make people question what is truth. All aligned. Maybe, you know, maybe in some instances they just didn't do it out in the open. But now they do it out in the open. You go to any Catholic parish around the country... They're celebrating it. You know, in most liberal places they will be. And the question is, why? Why do they care so much to remain in the church that they know it can't be done, really? I mean, it still can't be done. It won't happen. It won't happen. And the question is, why? Because it's psychological. You see... I really believe, I mean, I, I mean, Jordan Peterson said it quite easily. He said it the other day and he was talking to somebody and I, I, and I, and I, and I didn't stick to this part. Jordan Peterson said that, yes, they are, we are losing, Catholics are losing, the Catholic Church is losing membership, it's losing people. As the church tries to become like the world. Because the truth is, they don't really want to be in the church. It's psychological, yes, in many cases. But eventually what's going to happen is, they're going to listen to their side. They're going to listen to their side. You know, screw the faith, screw the church. Who needs it? And they're going to go out. Because eventually they're going, they're going to stop. They're going to stop caring about being Catholic. They're not going to remain there. When they feel they destroyed the church, when they feel they have, they have drained the church of its, of its uh, spiritual strength, they're going to leave. They're going to leave. They're, going to, they're not going to care. They're going to abandon the faith and they're going to leave. I truly do believe that. This is where Christ will make his move. This is where God will definitely make his move. So, yeah, I, I do believe that. What Jordan Peterson was saying is that the Catholic Church should demand more of its members, not accommodate them, not make it welcoming, make it accepting, because that's this is not what they want. Religion, <coughs> excuse me, demands... The impossible. 
It demands the impossible. That scene with Jude Law in The Young Pope is actually true. It, as liberal as that, as that stupid series was, that scene was psychologically true. It is absolutely true. It's true, Peterson said this, religion is not politics, but it does encompass politics. Because it has all the elements that politics, you know, that politics needs. A good example is love your neighbor, love your enemies. Because they happen to be the same people as G.K. Chesterton said. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. And what belongs to God belongs to God. Because technically, whatever Caesar has belongs to God. And Caesar himself belongs to God. Whether Caesar likes it or not, whether Caesar is baptized or not, he will eventually have to answer to God. And every single politician must answer to God. What is truth? Pilate represents the politician. The politician who basically balances, you know, balances between personal ambition, personal uh, love for power, love for the world, but eventually finds out that all of it eventually slips through his fingers because he must come under judgment. So beware, Nancy Pelosi, Joe Biden. It doesn't make a difference how much, how much success you have. But even though God will give it to you, only to take it away from you. All that is there. God demands from us because we mortals, we, we, I mean, Adam and Eve reached out to the forbidden tree of knowledge and took knowledge without wisdom. Right? It was knowledge without wisdom. Without the ability to know how to use it. And people want power without wisdom. They want power without wisdom. It's a very narcissistic age we live in. The, the constant LGBTQ thing is all narcissism. And it's all psychological. All right, it's all, you know, and this whole thing about it's all basically the world and the idea of liberalism is that the individual, which just came out of the Enlightenment, right? Even though, yeah, we might have said, you know, what science might have found out that the sun is not the center of the universe, okay, or the earth, that is. I'm sorry, the sun is the center of our galaxy, but the earth, man, is not the center of the universe, which is true, which is a, a humbling thing. But that, the physical science is not, is, not, is not what was important. The point is that God places man on trial. Humanity is always on trial. Okay? They, they, we chose, everybody keeps asking, how, why is there so much evil? Because we chose to walk this path without God. He gave us a choice. And the choice, we think we can do this without God. We can do this without God's help.
And so we put ourselves through pain and suffering. He along the way, through the crooked lines and our crooked roads and our crooked way of thinking, comes and helps us every now and then, even when we don't ask for it. He won't make it easy. So yeah, this is why there's so much evil in the world, because we keep slapping his hand. So the question everybody's going to be asking also is, what's going on with Pope Francis? Well, I'm, I'm saddened. I, I'm left questioning, but I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. He he's not he's 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 powerless. He's not going to do nothing to to destroy the church. And I think, and I think maybe in his own way, in his own intentions, he believes he's doing some kind of good. He may believe it, but I do believe that God is going to use him for a good. For good. And I think the problem um, I mean Michael Voris never said that Pope Francis is not legally Pope. He is legally Pope. I know that there's a lot of arguments between what exactly um, the legal matter of Pope Benedict's resignation the details. Let's not, you know what I believe his resignation was legal, all right? And I believe Pope Francis is legally the Pope. Why all this is happening is because God is permitting it, because he wants to gain greater faith from all of us. That means we have to pray for Pope Francis. Yes, I think his biggest problem is that he's a Jesuit, and I think he... he was a man who went through a lot of unfortunate events. I think he's scarred by those events back in Argentina. And I think he's um, balancing uh, a terrible um, situation on an on a, on a ecclesiastical high wire that I think is very stressful for him. I think the Germans put him in this, the, the liberal cardinals put him in this evil position. And they're not going to win. They're not going to win. It just looks bad right now. It just looks terribly bad. And, and looks scary. But don't, don't lose hope. Don't lose hope about this. He, you know, God is not abandoning us. So we have to pray for Pope Francis. You know, we have to pray. Um, you know, it's just, it's just very sad. But this is the result of a narcissistic world. The world did infiltrate the church. Taylor Marshall is absolutely right about that. There was an infiltration a long time ago. And we, we are called to repent of our sins, 
to be saints in terrible times like these. We are called to be holy. While all this is happening, and you get, you get everybody on one side, you have to go find a Latin mass. You have no choice. Um, I don't think God cares about that. I think what he cares about is holiness. I'm not saying that you can't worship in a Latin mass. Yes, I think it's wonderful. I wish I had access to one. I wish I had access to a more reverent Norbus Ordo. I like the I like the readings of the Novus Ordo. I think they're fantastic, you know the the three year cycle. But we are called to be holy. We must be holy. We must repent, and we must be the kind of people that Christ wants us to be. So, I want to read something. Um, this is from the Magnificat. It's a short little article. I want to read it. The Great Conversion Stories, Robert Hugh Benson. This is by John Gennaro. Anglicans were deeply divided at the end of the 19th century over a broad spectrum of ideas and practices from dogmatic skepticism to evangelical revivalism to, to high church and even Anglo-Catholic rituals and efforts to restore sacramental piety. Only one option, it seemed, was ruled out by all factions. Submission to the Pope and conversion to the Roman Catholic Church. Ooh. So you see, and this looks almost like what's happening to us here. It's... um. You know, in the sense that, you know, you get people who are sedipicontists, which say that the, that the chair of Peter is empty, which is what they're saying now, and that's ridiculous because it can't be. Uh, then you got those who um, want to go back to the Latin Mass and who say that the Novus Ordo is not legit. It's legit. Christ is present. Okay, and the Mass has gone through lots of changes. Yes, I think Latin is beautiful, but I think what we need is more true reverence. I don't think the, the Novus Ordo is reverent enough. I think there's too much, like I agree with Taylor Marshall and I agree with others, the priest is too much of a DJ. He should be doing things ad orientum. There shouldn't be all these clown masses happening. But let's go back to the story here. Yet ever since Newman, this is John, by John Henry Newman, a small but a steady stream of English people took this radical step that they themselves had once regarded as unthinkable. Inevitably, the, um, inevitably, okay, these English Catholic converts helped draw others along the path to Rome. Robert Hugh Benson, born 1871 19, and died 1914, was thus drawn and in turn would draw many who came after him. Hugh, Hugh was the fourth son of Dr. Edward Benson, the renowned Anglican Archbishop of Canterbury, whose high church but anti-Roman opinions 
formed Hugh's experience growing up, energetic and imaginative, but often uh, unfocused. Hugh didn't excel at Eton or Cambridge. He joined the Anglican ministry because it seemed congenial for an archbishop's son, but greater motivation were also awakening within him. The services and the beautiful music at the Anglican St. Paul Cathedral moved him, and he began to seek a more personal spiritual closeness to Jesus, along with the ritual and ceremony observed by his father, at those at whose hands he received Anglican ordination in 1895. Hugh's faith continued to grow and deepen. A retreat preached, uh, preached by noted Anglican priest and scholar Basil uh, Matten and the profound effect of drawing Hugh's focus to the centrality and significance of the Incarnation for every aspect of Christian life. In 1896, Archbishop Edward Benson uh, uh, died. And although Hugh loved his father, he, compare, he compared the impact of his death to the, to the roof being blown off a building. New, new space, uh, spaces in, in, high, in Hugh's heart began to open up. Where he, where he traveled to Europe and, and, to the, and the Near East, his status as an Anglican clergyman suddenly seemed small, provincial. He felt like an outsider in relation to the great ancient uni, uh, universal church that was still, at that time, tangibly rooted in the Christian world. Hugh's religious prop, um, prop, uh, Propriety wasn't enough. He began a thirst for boundlessness of love that brought God to earth and to the cross. He also longed for a firm obedience to the truth as revealed by God. He was soon shocked but also provoked by the news that his mother's... That, that, I'm sorry, I'm sorry... He was, he was longed for a firm obedience to the truth as revealed by God. He was soon shocked by, um, I'm sorry, I'm a little tired, you know, I had a rough week. He also longed for a firm obedience to the truth as revealed by God. He soon, he was soon shocked, but also provo provoked by the news that his mentor, Father Matan, Matern, had joined the Catholic Church. Hugh rapidly moved toward Anglo-Catholic Church, um, Anglo-Catholic beliefs and rituals, though he enjoyed the many activities of parish life. He, f he felt he needed greater discipline. This led him to join a recently formed quasi-monastic religious community in 1901. Hugh found much good 
in the in the um, religious community in religious life but he also began to wrestle more directly with the reality of the papacy he read extensively and consulted widely yet it became apparent to him that he was seeking something more than a correct theological opinion he was seeking the rock on which jesus had built and continued to build to sustain his church an old cambridge uh, friend now catholic and a dominican father david richards invited him to the dominican priory at woodchester and eventually arranged for him to meet with his confer father reginald buckler a benevolent spiritual mentor and guide to many catholic converts father reginald received hugh into the catholic church in september 11th 1903 robert hugh benson was ordained a catholic priest in rome in 1904 and began his vivid catholic witness as a um noted preacher and author winning himself uh, 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 wearing himself out in the service of souls until his death a decade later well so that was very impressive wasn't it see that's the kind of conversion stories um that make it worthwhile when you read about other people's experiences he wrote several books he wrote the most famous one is the lord of the worlds uh which is about the antichrist i mean you could say it's kind of dated it is dated in its own way but it was but he he saw things coming in it, in it you'll notice like uh the narcissistic world uh, the narcissistic worldview. It's all there. It's all there. And the indifference, the boredom of life, the, the meaninglessness of existence, and how religions were kind of like being coming under the regime of this of this grip of the world order and everything there. It's all there. He saw it. His, his science fiction views might be kind of funny, but I think if you if you take it and i think if someone made a movie of it you could pretty much you know um weave it together and in, 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 into the modern context that we're living in you know human beings are we're, we're living now with this obsessiveness of of self and there's a self-loathing there's this obsession to recreate self in any way you want, excuse me. And it's kind of sad. It's kind of sad. People are trying to escape from guilt. They're trying to escape from shame. They're lonely. People are very, very lonely now. It's a very lonely, with all the internet, with everything, with social networking and and um facebook instagram people are very lonely and they're very and they're very sad and then i don't think the universities have been helping 
I think with with the way we're living in now, the way information, ideas, and knowledge is quite easily success, uh, accessible, but the wisdom and how to use it. Recently, I had to go through a, um, a training for my job. Um, it was tough. It was very physical, but it was also, uh, you appreciate it because the knowledge that these men had, the knowledge and the experience they had in how to use a baton and how to hit the person correctly if the person happened to be dangerous and how to execute the situation properly like how to use OC, uh, kind of like it was a, a pepper spray, and how to use it properly in, in, in what proper, in what justifiable, reasonable, and necessary situation you're supposed to use it legally. And it is um, force. It is um, necessary force, or how you would call it, to to gain control of the situation if the person person happens to be mentally or hysterical or very violent you you're you're forced to take action you're forced to take action but you have to do it in a proper way where you don't wind up hurting someone or t or accidentally taking a life if you use the baton in the wrong way you could fracture a person's skull and you'll kill the person. So people have access to ideas, but they don't know how to use it. It's like giving a baby or a four-year-old, a five-year-old, a loaded gun or a 15-year-old, whatever you want to call it. And, they th and they're going crazy. They're just shooting it off, shooting it off. And people are made so fragile. They're, they're made to think with their emotions instead of thinking with reason and logic. And they're being manipulated. Because when you think with your emotions, you are really a puppet on strings. You're not thinking reasonably and logically. You are easy for to manipulate. It's like literally you're a, you're you're a puppet on strings, and they're going to push you in a direction because you're so blinded and you're so. Um, they know how to push your buttons easily. Let's put it that way. They just know how to push your buttons easily. So, yeah, Rock, uh, Hugh Benson knew. He, he had an encounter with Christ. Christ called him slowly, 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 slowly. He called him. He called him. And Hugh Benson wanted Christ. He wanted Jesus. And that was an adventure. What he went through. He went from holiness to greater holiness. He went from conversion to greater conversion. He went from um, gaining knowledge 
to gaining greater knowledge with grace. And that, that, that is a romance story. That is a conversion story. That is a beautiful conversion story. All right, I'm going to end it here. Um, kind of have a, my, I think it's allergies. Um, you know, lately, you know, it's, um, been affecting me. I know you've been hearing me kind of sniffling, but it's doesn't feel like a cold, and it's definitely not COVID. I already, I already been through that nonsense. You know, it comes and goes, so it's allergies, definitely. Um, all right, God bless, and uh, you know, I uh, just wanted to make a short podcast, so um, I'll come back again soon. God bless.